My guest this episode is Beth Speaker Christensen, an SLP near Chicago who's been working in the field for over 25 years. Beth started her career working for a contract agency in a variety of schools and nursing homes and was excited to begin working at Shriners Children's Hospital in Chicago. Whilst working there, she found many gadgets and gizmos used as assistive technology, all collecting dust, and realized quickly she would have to figure out what they were being used for. She started inviting vendors, manufacturer representatives, and other professionals to expand her knowledge of AT. She continued to learn from others while moving to a job in a special education cooperative, a nonprofit clinic, and now her own private practice. She's the owner of AAC Helper, an LLC working with clients from ages one to 101. Now, Beth holds a certificate in assistive technology from the University of Illinois at Chicago and became a member of RESNA, the Rehabilitation Engineering and Assistive Technology Society of North America, in 2007. She went on to chair some special interest groups and professional service groups, and now is a member of the Professional Standards Board, helping to maintain and update the Assistive Technology Professional Certificate and Examination. She's the chair of the Membership Committee of the United States Society of AAC, which is USAC, and is a LAMP certified professional. She's a part of the Minspeak learning community and loves presenting at conferences to help others enjoy AC as much as she does. Now she tells everyone that her grandfather taught voice lessons, her father taught electronics, and she teaches electronic voices. And so what else do you do with the last name of speaker? So greetings, Beth, and thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Ah, so now you've had the fun bit let's get on with some of the less fun bit and i'll ask you a whole bunch of questions all right <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself other than what i've just said and a little bit more about your aac journey so far oh well from the intro you see that my journey was vast i've worked in clinics and hospitals and schools um i i realized quickly that maybe i wasn't as good at having bosses so starting a private practice was the way to go but what i found is throughout my career those sessions or courses or webinars or conferences that I had gone to, I tended to uh, stalk Gail Van Tatenhoff, which is, um, you know, she understands what I'm doing. It is all out of love. Um, but in finding those um, mentors, elders, uh, people who came before me, um, I've, I've quickly figured out um, what it was that was going to help me to push my career forward. Um, there were, uh, when I finally went to pass, or I'm sorry, when I finally went to the PALS seminar, I was blown away. Um, I got to listen to a teacher named Michelle Baruda. I think that's how you say her name. Uh, she's a, a teacher out of Colorado now, I think. And it blew my mind to hear her apply the concepts that we were teaching and learning in AAC to education, taking Bloom's taxonomy and Brown's morphemes and bringing them together to teach our complex communicators such amazing things, applying all of that to academics. And, and at the time I was working in a school. So I was thrilled to have a connection to the two because so often I had teachers say to me, well, I'm not changing my lesson plans for you, Beth. <laughs> and in relation to your work with uh, Minspeak and that semantic compaction paradigm, can you remember some of your earliest involvement with that? I mean, when did you first come across it? 
I can remember when I worked at Shriners, um, I, I called the, the local representative in and I said, okay, convince me. I said, I think I get it, but convince me that MinSpeak is the way to go. And I'm sure that the representatives are given examples and things to teach, but she sat with me and one of my clients and, and the, the young man hit go and she walked out the door and I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he laughed and, and I, I said, well, what are we going to tell her? And, and I think we hit come and she was paying attention, came back in the room and I went, okay, you got me. Um, I've been through a number of uh, PRC representatives in my time, the, the consultants, and um, they've all been trained so well to, um, to remember the base foundation of language and semantics and and how all of this stuff goes together and just because i've been using it for so long it's it makes the most sense mm -hmm. does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm also a little curious about what were your first thoughts or reactions if you can recall to learning about this very but some some what sometimes seems like a very strange paradigm. Do you recall uh, what you felt about it the first time you even were seeing it? In oh, the first time I saw it, of course, it kind of went, eh. but very quickly it made sense. And I don't know if it's just the way my brain works or if I like the idea of the hieroglyphs. Um, you know, when Bruce created these, the, the images were so representative and the word groups um, just, they, it made sense to me. Um, and again, in following Gail and then going to PALS and then going to the, the LAMP training with John Halloran, all of the things that I've done over time just solidified that it made sense because these words are, are connected so well. Um, we had a training with a, a team where one of the teacher's assistants kept saying, I don't understand why the cookie cutters mean off. And I said, well, listen, uh, you know, the pictures don't really matter, but off represents the, the religious stuff, the holidays, or I mean, I'm sorry, the, the cookie cutters or the religious symbols on the bottom for make represent the holidays and, and shapes. I said, but you get a day off on a holiday. And she went, oh, that just doesn't make sense. Well, one of my coworkers said, turned around and said, listen, it could be a page full of drag queens and as long as the words are in the same place with whatever representation you give them, <laughs> the children will learn. So now we have a board made of all drag queens that we are trying to get to make it around the world. Just <laughs> out of an example that, you know, Tootsie was trouble and Mrs. Doubtfire was something and Dustin Hoffman or Dustin Hoffman as Tootsie was, was drink. And we, we put representation behind it, but we explained that if we all played Pictionary together, how would you draw make? Mm -hmm. How would you draw need? I said, you know, if I had to draw a pair of scissors and you had to draw a pair of scissors, it'd be pretty easy to represent scissors. I said, and I'm not a very good artist, but in, in drawing make and taking the representation that Bruce Baker and the Men Speak team had, had come up with, I didn't have to think about why. Initially I did as I, and I had to, it's like learning sign language. You learn that you know, by putting your elbow, your hand to your elbow and making your hand look like a tree, it represents tree. And I think initially you have to go, okay, it looks like a tree. So it's a tree. And mm -hmm. over time you just sign tree. I'm standing near the tree where with 
make and need and want. We use them every single day. That plan just starts to happen. And I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to think about the cookie cutters being religious symbols, being make, being a holiday, being a this, being a that. You don't have to think about it anymore. And so I think quickly my brain soaked in that information. I went, aha, very early on. And just through practice, it's now how my brain works. And so, you know, the initial oddity of these images was, of course, you know, I had to remember what some of them were. But over time, and now after 28 years, it's it's how I work. I have to say that I'm still musing over the concept of a new <laughs> version of Unity with drag queens on it. You know, I do think we should make it a page set. We should talk to the developers to have, you know, we've got you know, Unity 28, we've got Unity 45, we've got Unity drag queens. We, should, we, we could work with it somehow, I'm sure. I, I have to say that at the recent meeting, I, I did suggest that we could have the Unity Game of Thrones version. <gasps> oh, see, now we're talking. I think we get a lot of buy-in from the community. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see how that works out. Then I'll take that to the uh, Product Development Committee and see whether we can work some magic. Fantastic. Let me know if you'd like me to be interviewed <laughs> for that as well. Hey, so we've learned a little bit there about you, about the development of Beth as a clinician. And you were saying, you know, you've had influence from you know, trainings from folks like Gail, but I think we also learn a lot ourselves from our mistakes. So do you have any sort of really memorable failures that you dare to share with people? And not just the failure itself, but, but what did you learn from it? Oh, absolutely. In 28 years, I'm very good at failure. Um, <laughs> I used to let administrators or teachers uh, talk me out of more robust systems. You know, they, they, oh, you know, I'm sure you've heard this a number of times. Um, oh, it's too much. There's too many words. The, the student has cognitive disability and, and in no way could learn that. It's too hard. Um, when I came home from Michelle Baruda's PALS training, when she was the special speaker on the second day, I rushed back to my school and I said, oh, you guys, I've got it. We're going to take Bloom's taxonomy and Brown's morphemes and we're going to do this. And, and the administrator said to me, well, that's not the real Bloom's taxonomy. And I said, are you telling me I created my own taxonomy? Of course I haven't. I'm not that smart. But she made me second guess what I had just learned, what I had just absorbed, what I had just um, become so excited about. And instead of taking what I learned and, and being able to quickly apply it with administrative support, of course, um, it was squashed. And so, you know, now I know that it's worth advocating for robust language from the start. Now I know for all of my clients, we, we start with every button, every page, every icon, um, you know, it's go big or go home. I tell others, if we shoot for the sidewalk, we're very likely to hit it. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not a distant goal. But if we shoot for the moon, we are likely to hit the sidewalk, but we're likely to go past that sidewalk and, and do even more. And uh, I, I've had clients where the parents say to me, well, I have to pick what words my child is going to say. I mean, this is recent. I have a 35-year-old client that I just met. And the mom said, well, I need to tell you which words we should make show. Mm -hmm. on the device. And I said, how do you know what he wants to say? I don't know what he wants to say. She goes, well, when is he going to say helicopter? I said, I don't know, but why would you not let him say helicopter? Are you offended by helicopters? 
And so, you know, I'm trying so hard to uh, instill in people that just the fact that we don't know what words someone might want to say in the moment, um, we need to have those words available, especially the core, especially a high, highly motivating fringe, um, choices that we expect our clients to make every day. You know, if we're going to give them the choice, they better have access to tell them, tell us why they want it or don't want it or whatever. And so it's, it's a big go big or go home philosophy for me. And mm -hmm. I learned that pretty, it took me a while to, you know, well, I got voted off the island, but it took me a while to stand up to administration and say, you know, this is very, very important. And, and I know of what I speak. I said, I've learned a lot about this and uh, I'm your go-to expert in the area right now. So let's, why don't we try it? And they went, oh, it's so hard. I said, okay, I'll move on. And related to that idea there of you know, recommending to people that they should go big or go home, what other advice do you think you would give someone who wanted to pursue a career like yours if somebody else wanted to be the next best mm -hmm. what sort of things would you recommend that they do i always tell people and i just said this at the closing the gap conference that we just everybody got to attend or many of us got to attend um seek out those who came before you look for a mentor um if you if you don't know much about something, then you need to find someone who already does. As AAC was being developed and researched and created, there was lots of research and development amongst the entire community. We had to figure out what worked. And there were times that we made buttons really big and we got to customize and we'd put these phrases in and we did it. But what we're finding over time is these systems have been held true because they work, they're functional, they have so many language-based, developmentally appropriate, you know, right. the morphemes and the parts of speech. So go to those who came before you. Go listen to Gail Van Tatenhove before she retires. Hurry. Um, go find clinicians who have been in the field for, you know, more than 20 years and, and seek it out. Go to conferences and seminars and immerse yourself in AAC and assistive technology because our complex communicators, we have to make sure that they can access their systems not in their wheelchairs or in their wheelchairs with the right mount and with the right access methods. So if you want to be the next Beth, you've got to dabble uh, in quite a few things and just understand who you can go to to get better information. You know, you say they are learned from those who've gone before. Who would you say are maybe the three people who you feel who have sort of perhaps gone before, but who have been influential in your life as an AAC clinician? Mm. Well, I always tell people that Bruce Baker was my Yoda, um, which makes Gail Van Tatenhove a Jedi master as well. Um, uh, I, the three people that I usually say are Bruce Baker, Gail Van Tatenhove, and Chris Klein. I don't know if everyone knows Chris Klein, but he is a person who uses AAC and he's kind of been the poster child for a long time. He uses his left big toe um, but when I met him, I think it was more, I was fangirling. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Chris Klein. But we've become friends and I'm friends with his wife, Dawn. Uh, we meet up for lunch when I go up to Michigan. We've got a spot that I claim is mine. He claims it's his. Um, I've been going since, since 1975. So I think I've got him beat. I don't know if he was born then. <laughs> but anyway, um, in looking to Bruce Baker and the development of the system, I find it absolutely 
magical. It, it covers all the bases. And so as my Yoda, you know, he's the one that I say for that. Um, Gail Van Tatenhove is, is my Jedi master in intervention. In stalking her and watching her throughout the years show how she would sit in a group with no plan whatsoever, have a box of craft materials or whatever, and show how she would get this language out of these students who had never met her before, talking about how she created the Pixon project to show how she would teach language. Um, and then Chris Klein showing what a person who uses AAC can achieve. That's my goal now for my clients to say, I want them all to be their best and do what they want to do and be like Chris Klein. You know, he is an independent communicator. He has wonderful relationships of friends and his wife and his pets and the people around him, his colleagues. Um, he just had his, you know, wonderful Impact Voices conference in D.C. Mm -hmm. um, and he has a very happy life. And that's what all, all of my clients and everyone else's clients, that's what they all deserve. I should probably mention here that um, a friend of mine back in the UK is similar in that he too is a toe communicator. <laughs> I, There's I, two of them. That, that, that's, that's good. And, and I remember one of the things that I always never forget, uh, that we could go to a pub and he would take his shoe and a sock off and he was the only person I knew who could hold a conversation and drink simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> it is a party trick for sure. <laughs> so you mentioned the three people there. In terms of other resources, whether that's people or things, are there any other resources that you found useful along the way? Well, I learned so much from PALS and I know that with COVID, PALS was kind of it came to a screeching halt because we couldn't have in-person in trainings. Um, but that information is still very, very um, useful. And, and I, every time anything comes up regarding PALS, I learned so much more. Um, the LAMP trainings also are very important. Understanding why we're using motor planning uh, as a keyboard-based system, that resource has always been a, a good one to me. As you're talking there about the PALS training, perhaps I should just mention here, this is almost like a little advert in the uh -huh. middle of it here. Maybe also a teaser for an upcoming podcast I'm hoping to do, which is that the PALS training, the Pittsburgh uh, AAC language seminar sort of became an online phenomenon during COVID. It then became the Right. It became just an AAC language seminar online, but PRC are now sponsoring what's going to be called the Minspeak Academy. So we're going to be seeing the continuation of the seminars uh, online and also hopefully the development of other training courses that will be under the umbrella now of PRC and their learning journey system. But the new Minspeak Academy is going to be committed to the continuation of, you know, sharing that sort of information. So for people who who missed out on doing that in the days when we all went to Pittsburgh, we're going to be sort of reviving some of that through the Minspeak Academy. So I mentioned it that there and hopefully I'll get um, a podcast out. Oh, maybe by the end of the year, I hope to, talk a little more about that from the folks at PRC. We'll That'll see. be fantastic. Everyone should find it. Right. And it's just to 
also assure people that although Bruce uh, is no longer with us, his ideas and his methodology and the whole paradigm is still being supported, is still being promoted and developed. So the Midspeak Academy will be just one aspect of that. That's fantastic. I'm excited. So after that small ad, uh, let's go back into one more question I have for you in this little section, which is about AAC mythology. So here's your chance now to think of one AAC myth that you would love to debunk. What would that be? Well, there's so many, <laughs> but um, I think one that I tend to focus on is, is nothing is too hard. Um, you know, baby learn, learn, babies learn language over the course of years, right? We, we talk to them. We don't expect them to talk back. We document each word in their baby book. We, we don't know if they'll master every word in the English language or in their first language, but we try. And so that whole myth of learning language or learning AAC is so hard, you know, one word at a time. Don't worry about what's happening end game i mean you can like, again we could shoot for the sidewalk or we could shoot for the moon i've always focused on one hard thing at a time but the main part of that is that it's not too hard it it can be done one word at a time is going to get us progress and eventually we'll get to successful aac use you know if if motivation is high enough anything can happen um bruce had a a what was it? It was a, like, it looked like a math problem, but it was, if, if motivation is high and, and you put that over physical demand, cognitive demand, academic difficulty, whatever, if those things are very difficult, motivation has to be exceptionally high. But if we keep things motivating, exciting, and fun, who can tell what we could do? We can do anything. Right. And, and so, you know, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time how do you teach language one word at a time just go for it <laughs> so let's move on to one more section here which is what i call my three c's and hopefully people are now used to my three c's which is to ask my guests to make recommendations related to culture courses and clinical practice so let's start with culture and if you have a, a book or album or a movie you would recommend and why you would recommend that Oh, I love this part. Listening to the podcast before this, I've been excited to hear what other people have said. For culture, and I thought about this a lot, I chose The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It's a movie that's in French with subtitles about a man who has locked-in syndrome. And I, he, he wrote this book or this story one letter at a time. He was locked in. He would blink when he got to the letter of the alphabet that uh, was his choice. And that's how he was able to communicate. This movie shows how much access impacts the speed of communication. Can you imagine writing a book one letter at a time um, with someone going A, B, C, D, uh, uh, though in French. So that's the fun part. Uh, but I can't do it. Um, but also with the, the importance of the investment of the communication partner, that person had to sit there and go through the alphabet over and over and over to find the letters that he was saying to create his messages to write his sentences to write this book and we have to remember that as a communication partner it's going to take time it's going to be difficult sometimes but we owe that to our friends and clients and and loved ones to 
be a, an attentive communicative partner. And in relation to courses, of course, you've just mentioned the Pittsburgh AAC language seminar, but any other courses you would recommend to people? I would. Um, I was lucky enough to be a beta tester for this course. Um, Gail Van Tatenhove has created a course through Infinitech on language sampling. Um, she's definitely instilled in me, unless we truly analyze the language and words that our friends are using, you know, whether we're using realized language, the quad profile, um, any other language sample where we're just counting words for a type token ratio, whatever. How are we going to track progress and write goals? We can go back to what we learned in school and say, oh, I remember this now, which is what I did when I took Gail's course, because it had been a long time since I had truly taken an in-depth language sample and broken it down. Um, when we take the time, we see what is happening right now, and it can help us to write goals as far as what we're going to do moving forward. And, and I think that makes us more responsible clinicians. So Gail has instilled in me that language sampling and analyzing language, what, what's being used, can then help us to set our goals for achieving successful communication through SNUG, or even she taught me, the which I hadn't remembered, Lewis language output using intervention strategies, which is what most of us do all the time, right? We add prompting, we add modeling. Um, we, we don't just stand there and wait for all these snug uh, utterances to come out. You know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And by taking those language samples and really looking at what it is we're working with, it gives us opportunities to play the long game and run that marathon and help create really successful communicators. If you had any advice in terms of uh, clinical practice, what might you recommend for people to encourage them to use best practices in AAC? And, and of course, you just mentioned there one of them being to, to measure language, which is always a good idea. But anything else, anything else you would consider that people should bear in mind if they want to practice good AAC? Yeah, I'm going to go back to my mantra of one hard thing at a time. You know, Bruce modified that ratio of motivation to success. And I just, it's so, so, so important. If access is hard, I, I've had teachers tell me that, well, it's just so slow. If access is hard, whether it be switch scanning, eye gaze, new point, um, using your big toe, however you're accessing, you have to have a high level of motivation. And so calculus class is not the time to practice access, right? right. History class, unless you're in, so in depth into history that you love every aspect of, of you know, the wars and the dates and the times, that's not the time to expect complete sentences and responses from our people who use uh, devices. And so if we're participating in a really fun, engaging activity, we can create magic. Measuring success is much different than measuring progress, right? We can, we can grow someone's vocabulary by, you know, one or two words in a certain area, but is that successful communication? That one hard thing at a time just kind of floats around in my head so that I remember what, where I'm targeting. You know, we can say to a client that they can say, they, or we can say that a client can say three more words on a simple mid-tech device, but is that successful communication? Right. Um, I worked in a clinic that cut sessions down to 45 minutes 
to optimize income. And what I found was, you know, so many of my clients, it would take them that 45 minutes to greet me and say hello when they came in the door, that their access was so important that now I ensure, I make sure to allow at least an hour for each of my clients because that one hard thing is access. So I, that's, that's kind of my soapbox, I guess, one hard thing at a time. Okay, cool. I like that one. And so finally... In a sentence or two, what do you want people to take away from what you said today? Oh boy, you're going to keep me to one or two sentences, huh? I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the chatty person here. Yeah, two um, or three maybe. <laughs> I guess. All right, I've got a few. Obviously, one hard thing at a time, right? Really focus on where you want your emphasis to be when it comes to AAC intervention, right? You can't do it all at once; it is a marathon. So there's one. Um, seek out mentoring, seek out someone who knows a lot about something you may not understand or may not have mastered yet. Find those courses, those conference sessions, those webinars to better your understanding so that you can be a more well-rounded clinician. So finding the mentor to, I, I took at UIC the, um, assistive technology courses. So I had to take seating and wheeled mobility. My understanding now of wheelchairs and the seating and positioning is better than it was before I took the course. And I'm able to make decisions um, with more knowledge. So I found a way to learn and fill a gap in my knowledge. It's not a huge one. It, was, it, it doesn't come up every single day. But finding the mentor, finding the course, finding continue to learn, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Continue to learn so that you can enjoy AAC as much as I do. Okay. And finally, how can people contact you with any comments or questions they have? Well, um, I do have a website, but it's not great. So I'll tell you, you can email me at EASC, my initials, dot SLP at Gmail. Um, so that's easc.slp at gmail. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. That's Speaker Christensen. I'm all over Facebook. Um, what else? Uh, you can call me or text me 708-408-9819. I don't mind. I will block you if you get crazy, though. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll get a lot of people calling asking. Oh, I don't think so. But I don't know. It's... Maybe they want copies of your drag queen overlay. Oh, I will share the drag queen board with anybody who wants it. We want to make it all the way around the world. <laughs> well, so uh, Beth Speaker Christensen, thank you ever so much for joining me. And hopefully you've had as interesting a time on this as I've had. Oh, this has been amazing. Thanks so much, Russell. Okay, so thanks a lot, and you take care. You too.